church. <clears throat> theme of our message this evening is the lost axe head that floated. And our text is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> I had a sermon that I wanted to, to preach on Sunday morning, so I didn't want to preach it tonight. And uh, I wanted more people to be able to hear it. And I was flipping through the channels. Uh, wouldn't have been last week, but it, it would have been the week before there. And was watching these different TV shows. And these guys were up in uh, the Great Lakes. And they were looking for treasure and looking for gold. And uh, they're up there going under the water with their machines and trying to find metal with metal detectors and that. And I'm thinking, these dummies, they should have called Elisha. And he could throw his stick air in there in the water and cause that metal to rise, right, Tim? That's what we would do, right? <clears throat> yeah, for some reason, I thought of that. Here we are, Elisha, the great prophet, 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7, New American Standard. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now. The place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and each of us take from there a beam and let us make a place there for ourselves while we may live. So he said, go. Then one said, please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. And said, Take it up. For yourself. So he put out his hand and he took it. I don't know about you, but that's wild. That is an amazing miracle. Iron sinks, it's heavy, it's not going to float. Yeah, maybe you could argue with me and say, oh, yeah, but your big aircraft carrier you were on, it was made out of steel and this, that, and the other. Yeah, and it had air in the, down in the bilge tanks and properly weighed and displaced and everything and had engines and this, that, and the other to make it be able to float. This was just a chunk of metal that <clears throat> fell in the water, and if you go do that, it's going to the bottom. Jordan River was not a clean river. It was muddy, and they would have had a terrible time swimming around trying to find it. So we see here in our text this amazing miracle that Elisha performs for the sons of the prophets. It would appear from our text that Elisha was the instructor of the sons of the prophets. We may call these young men today maybe Bible students or students who are seeking to maybe be evangelists or missionaries. These men are mentioned in different places here in the beginning chapters of the book of Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 3, 5, 7, and 15. And in chapters 4, 1, and verse 38. 
And maybe these sons of the prophets were also the company of prophets or school of prophets that many believe Samuel, the prophet, started in his day in 1 Samuel 10.5. It seems that Elisha, the prophet, was doing the same thing that Samuel, the prophet, was doing. He was shepherding and teaching and training these young men in the ways of the Lord. The Apostle Paul seemed to be doing something similar at the school of uh, Tyrannus in Ephesus, chapter uh, 19, verse 9 of the book of Acts. And again there, there were probably women there, but he was there teaching. They were meeting as a school there, and he was educating them. But we also see that he wrote to two young men, Timothy and also Titus, who he was training and working with to be evangelists. So we see these type of things happening, these sons of the prophets that Samuel worked with, these sons of the prophets. We see even Elijah before he was taken. He went and made sure they were all okay before him and Elijah crossed over the Jordan River and uh, Elijah was taken in the whirlwind. <clears throat> but let's see tonight uh, from this historical account about this Lost axe head that floated what we can learn. First off, the story. These sons of the prophets were dwelling with Elisha, and his quarters had become too limited for the group. This shows that his house was too small for everyone that was trying to live there. This would show us then that Elisha wasn't rich. His sources were limited. If he was rich, he could have built a, a bigger house. Or if he had a bigger house, he would have been able to contain all these men. But it also shows us that his ministry was also growing. It was prospering because they ran out of room. This is a good problem to have a large group of young men wanting to learn and to serve as prophets and teachers of God. Because of this larger group, they needed to start a building program as soon as possible to take care of this important need. Since Elisha's quarters were too small for this group, these students suggest to him, hey, let's, are we allowed to go over to the Jordan? Over by the river's edge, there's a lot of trees. They're growing over there in abundance. Can we cut some of these down and build ourselves a, a larger cabin, a larger structure to be able to dwell in? And Elijah says there in verse 2, he says, go, go ahead. Sounds like a good idea. But then they come back and request for him to go with them. And he agrees. He said, I shall go in verse 3. Here we see that these young men are willing to pay the price and suffer the necessary hardships of the ministry. They didn't say, Elisha, you, you know, this place that you have here, it's, it's too small for us. Why don't you build us a new place? Why don't you go over by the Jordan? We saw some, some trees over there. Why don't you cut those down and bring them on back here to your, your structure and add on a bunch of cabins, a bunch of rooms for us to live in? That's not what happened. They said, we're going to go do this, but would you come? Maybe they wanted his expertise or uh, because he was older and a little bit wiser. Maybe none of these men had built a house before and they know that Elisha has. So maybe they wanted some of that type of uh, tutelage and training. 
Now, if we want to serve the Lord, are we willing to sacrifice or possibly support ourselves to be able to study and to learn? These men were willing to to do some hard work to make sure that their needs were met. While these men were cutting these trees for their building project, the borrowed axe that they had, the head came off, fell into the water. These men got a little bit frantic. They were very upset for this axe head because they had borrowed it and they were responsible for it. They probably had no jobs or money. None of them was a a smith, a blacksmith, to be able to get some iron and to make a new one. So this was not a good thing for these guys. And they looked for Elisha to help in this situation that they found themselves in. And Elisha knew just what to do. Cut, Cut down a tree, take that tree throw it in the water where the place where the axe head fell into the river and the axe head floated to the surface. That's what all of us would have done, right? Every time we drop some metal into the water, we're going to cut down some tree and throw it in there. How in the world's that going to help? Think about it. Did he maybe go off to the side and have a little prayer meeting with God and say, God, how do I get this out of here? Um, I don't know anywhere in the world where we can drop metal in a river or a pond or whatever and throw a stick in there and it float. It's wild to think about, but that's what the historical narrative is telling us. This miracle, as all other miracles, goes against the laws of nature. Iron sinks in water. It doesn't float or swim. But here, Elisha, through God's help, makes this axe head of iron float. Well, we may say, so what? What's that mean? Well, it did mean a lot to Elisha and his men, they were able to now finish the work and also be able to return the borrowed axe for which they had borrowed and they wouldn't have to buy him a new one or have a blacksmith make him a new one. Plus, they were able to finish their job. They were able to fell all these trees, get all this lumber and so forth that they needed and they could go back and build themselves a new quarter, quarters. So this meant something to them. This may, again, seem like a small thing, recovering this axe head. But for them, this was a very, very important thing. It's interesting to see that in God's word over and over again, we see that God is able to use small things to teach us lessons and to work out his purposes. Let me give you a few. What about Moses and Aaron and their rods to work miracles? Exodus seven seventeen says, Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it shall be turned to blood. 
In the book of Judges, over and over again, God uses small things and weak things to uh, confound the mighty. Like the farmer, Shamgar, standing out in his plot of land with his ox goad. And he used that ox goad to fight off and kill 600 Philistines and save Israel. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. What about Gideon? We talked about him in Sunday school this morning. And his pitcher-carrying army of 300 men fighting a massive army which they routed. And Judges chapter 7, verse 7, verse 12, and, and 10. What about also a tent peg carrying woman like Jael, who drove the tent peg through the temple of a captain of a general, Sisera, killing him in Judges 4.22. What about our, our favorite, right? A jawbone toting Samson, who struck down a thousand Philistines with it at one time in Judges 15, 15. What about Elijah striking the water of the Jordan with his mantle and caused it to divide here and there so that the two, that's Elijah and Elisha, were able to cross over on dry ground? 2 Kings 2, verse 8. What about Jesus spitting in the dirt, getting a little bit of the the dirt and the spit and making a little clay-like substance and putting it on the blind man's eyes. John 9, 6 and 7 says, When he had said this, he spat on the ground and he made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, Go and wash in the pool Salam, which translated means scent. And so he went away and washed and he came back seeing. All of these examples and many more like them, we see God is glorified and gets the credit. God amazes us with his power to use small things to bring about his purposes. Something that seems illogical to us and does not make sense. Chopping down a little tree there and taking it and throwing it in the water to make iron float, but God used that tree and caused that to be able to happen. Our second point is, let's notice some important lessons which we can learn from this story. <clears throat> the proper use of things which are borrowed, even by workers or servants of God. No Christian should think that they are exempt from returning things that they've gotten borrowed to them just because they're a Christian. But Christians should feel an even greater responsibility to own no one anything, Romans 13.8. This is a very important principle for us to follow as Christians, to return borrowed items, to pay our bills, pay our taxes, Set a good example for those who are around us. When you borrow something which is someone else's property, you should treat it with special care and you should give it back in the same condition as it was lent to you. If you break or lose the item you borrowed, you should replace it. That's the right thing to do. 
As Christians, we should always do the right thing in every circumstance that we can control. These sons of the prophets teach us an important lesson here. Set a good example here for all of us to follow when dealing with borrowed items. Another lesson we can learn from the sons of the prophets is the importance of self-reliance. Consider Genesis 2, 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to sit around and to eat all of the fruit that grew on the trees and to eat the vegetables and to grow fat. Is that what it says? No, it says the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, to keep it. He was to work there. From the beginning, God wanted man to work. Genesis 3.19 says, When they were cursed, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. By your sweat, by your work, you're going to eat. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, verily, do it with all your might. Whatever work you do, do it with all your might to the best of your ability. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and the work of your hands, just as we command you, so that you may have or behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. We should make it our ambition to want to live a quiet life and to attend to our own business. That means keeping our nose out of other people's business, right? And also with working with our hands so that we have. This is commanded to us here to set a good example to outsiders that we do not have any needs. We need to work. Why? To have money to be able to give to God and our tithes and offerings, to be able to live and to eat and to pay our bills and to give to others who may be having a bad time or just be in need. I can hear people today telling Elisha, you do not have a big enough house. Why don't you do something about it? Build each of us a bigger room. Right? No. Why should he have to do that? He has a house to live in. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, go chop some trees down. Build your, your own room to live in. Be self-sufficient. Work by the sweat of your own brow and do it with your might and energy and effort. You know, these next generations of young people in America need to be taught this very important principle of life to be self-reliant before they get dependent upon the government or upon other people. Learn for themselves these important principles to work and to be self-efficient. Many think that things ought to just be given to them and handed to them. That's a socialistic type of government and idea. No, we need to all go out and work unless for some reason medically we can't or we're disabled 
there's some mental issue or problem where we can't do it, then those people need to be taken care of. Or if someone's down on their luck and sick for a while or maybe lose, lose a job, we can help them and get them back on their feet. We also see another lesson we can learn from the sons of the prophet. That God cares for our legitimate needs, no matter how small. Jesus taught us in the model prayer in Matthew 6.11, which says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us enough for today. The apostle Peter taught us that we should cast all our cares on the Lord and he cares for us. Jesus taught us in Luke 12, 7, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. How many do I have now, Laura? 13? It's easy for God to count my hairs, right? Uh, do not fear. You're more valuable than the sparrows. And Dick Chambers told me when I was young, he said, God only made a few perfect heads. And those ones he didn't put hair on. <laughs> you ever hear him say that, Susan? <laughs> he did. He used to say it all the time. Now I can use it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, little things, you know, that we, we may think are important or whatever. You know, what's important is our soul. And where it spends eternity. And yes, God cares about us. And whatever those things are, if they're great or if they're small, leave them with him. You know, and he does even care about a borrowed axe head that seems to have seen better days. Trust the Lord. Have faith in him and his promises for us in his word. Another lesson we can learn from the sons of the prophets. A handle without an axe head is useless. I guess you could beat a duck with it, right? Or a piece of wood, put it on the fire, right? But when you put that axe head, that piece of iron on there and sharpen it, that handle's worth something, isn't it? Hmm. You know, if you have lost your axe head, seek it where you lost it. Most things are lost through carelessness. Have you been careless with God's gifts and abilities which he's granted to you? Careless living leads to sin and will cause us to lose our souls and our effectiveness for Christ and his kingdom. James 2.26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You see, we need faith, but we also need the works together. Both are needed just as much as the axe head and the axe handle are both needed and put together to be able to chop the wood and to fell the bark and everything off of it to get the job done properly. If you have faith and belief and have knowledge of what God wants, but you don't do it, and there's no works or actions or good that comes from it, what good is that? You need faith and works together to properly advance yourself and to also help advance the kingdom of God. 
This is an important lesson for us to know and to put into practice in our Christian walk. Another lesson we can learn from the sons of the prophets is we're not told if the axe head was known to be loose on the handle or if it just suddenly came off without warning. When I was young, my neighbors used to go and get wood and they'd bring it back and we would uh, get these little metal-like things and sledgehammer and pop it in there and break wood. But they also had some nice axes. Once you split those logs, then you could smack them one good time and beat on it usually and bust it into a couple pieces that they could throw in their wood burner or into their fireplace. And uh, we would always inspect the tools. Why? Because a lot of times after the last time we were chopping wood, we'd find that the ax head is loose. And maybe you had to get a little metal um, piece and put it down in there and pound it down in to tighten up the wood and to tighten up the ax head against the hammer and so forth. If not, what's going to happen? The ax head's going to fly off. It could fly off and hit you and cut you pretty bad. It could fly off, hit one of your buddies in the head and kill them. It could fly off and go through the window that you're standing by. You know, so you need to inspect your tools, make sure that they're working right. Was the tool good at first, but they just kept beating on it and beating and maybe not experienced in these kind of things. They just thought, oh, we'll just keep cutting and keep working till eventually what happened? The ax head flies off. You know, how often we suffer losses because we neglect to take care of a problem while it's small, while it's manageable. If you see an issue or problem needing tending to, and it needs fixed, you need to do it before it gets out of hand and gets real bad. If you see a brother or sister in Christ slipping away, Step in, try to encourage them, help them. Why? Because you don't want them to get to that point of no return or to go off the cliff. If you see an honest seeker looking for answers and you have the answers that they're seeking, then step up. Give them the help and the answers that they need before it's too late. People need to be shown the way before it's too late. And who knows? You, you don't know. Maybe you're the person that has the answers for the person. So if so, step up to the plate and take your bat. Take your swings and try to help them and encourage them. In conclusion, even as a lost accent is worth something, and worth seeking. A lost sinner is worth so much more. How can we put a price tag again upon a soul? The eternal soul of man is worth so much. It costs the life of the only begotten Son of God and His precious blood to be shed to redeem it. The question that we need to ask ourselves right now is have I accepted the only begotten Son of God's sacrifice upon the cross, paying the debt for my sins? And if not, why not? Why not right now? 
Today is the day of salvation. Everything's ready and waiting for your decision. Jesus is standing there. We have the baptistry is warm. We have robes and towels and everything that you need in the changing rooms. You can come forward if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on a cross for you. And you can make the great confession that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon that confession, we can take you into the back, baptize you, as Acts 2.38 says, for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then when you become a Christian, then live a faithful, godly life until the end, till either you pass or until the Lord returns for his church.